Well, good morning. My name's Rebecca. If I haven't met you before, there's a few new sort of faces here, but I think um, most of you I've met. We have had a good week. It's been a busy week in the life of our church, which has been fantastic. But is anyone a little bit like me and feeling a bit weary? Have had a good week, but a bit of an exhausting week. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of a theme talking to some of you this morning. Well, this morning's message is about hope. So maybe some of you are hoping that I'm not too long, so you get to go home and have a nice long afternoon nap. Anyone after a nap this afternoon? I'm not a big napper, but I've got to admit, in our house, we call it a post-preach nap. Often, whoever's preaching, when they get home, just feels like crashing out for a little while. Phil can crash for about four hours, me for probably about 20 minutes, but it's still refreshing. We've called this series on Philippians. We're looking closely at this book of Philippians, and we've called it The Gospel Changes Everything, because, well, it does. The Gospel Changes Everything, and that's what Paul is encouraging this young church at Philippi about. We've already looked at the fact the last couple of weeks that it changes our relationships, changes how we conduct those. It changes our minds, our attitudes, the way we approach life. And today we're going to consider the fact that it changes our hope, as in it completely changes where our hope is found. And when we ever find ourselves feeling like we're losing hope, we should always start by asking ourselves the question, have I placed my hope in the wrong things? Am I misplacing my hope. So this morning we're going to look at Philippians 3, which is about hope. And we're going to look at what misplaced hope is, where we can place our hope incorrectly, and where real hope is found. And I think you've already heard the answer to that in so many contributions this morning. So firstly, we're going to consider though a little bit about misplaced hope. And Paul says we can place our hope in a couple of wrong things. The first thing we can misplace our hope in is what we do. The band just played Nothing do I bring. But I think a lot of us get caught in the trap of placing hope in things that we do or things that we can do. If that screen gets too annoying, probably better to leave it off, see how we go. Okay, so who absolutely loves dogs? Is there anyone that's a dog fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so some of you were a bit like upset this morning when you heard Paul said something about not listening to the barking dogs, and maybe some of you were a little bit offended by that. But um, they say dogs are man's best friend, is that correct? When you can rely on no one else, you can rely on your dog. Um, does anyone want to admit that their dog is their favourite family member? Oh, oh, a few of you. I hope you live alone. <laughs> our, our family had a dog for 14 years. Abby was her name. And we got her when she was a puppy and she died about a year ago. And um, I'm not, full disclosure, I'm not a big fan of any animals. We don't have any animals now. We're gonna, not going to have any more. You know, like you can't go away on holidays very easily when you have pets or whatever. But I grew to love Abby. She was a beautiful dog. She was a beagle. And she had those eyes, those eyes that always said that she was sad and hungry. <laughs> it wasn't true, but she always thought she was hungry. And she was always happy to see me. So much so that if I ever, like, you know, came home during the day just for a little while, she was an outside dog. But, you know, I'd try to sneak in quietly so she didn't hear me. Because you know what happened the second she started hearing me? She'd run to the back door and she'd start to bark and bark and bark until I gave her attention and let's be real, until I gave her some food. That's all that she wanted because when we came home of an afternoon, we'd give her food. So if I snuck home early in the day, she was after the food and she wouldn't bark, stop barking until we'd listened to her and obeyed her command to give her food. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have no problem with house pets. He didn't have a problem with our love of dogs, not, not at all. 
But he did say we should give no attention to the people he refers to as barking dogs. He referred to them this way because they were people that were persistent, people that were difficult to ignore. Just like my dog, Abby, they did a pretty good job of convincing you that something you originally knew was true, she was not hungry, that that was not the case. She insisted she was hungry. Have a look at the message, and we're going to read the Bible to get the words this morning. And it's not going to work? No? Okay, so this is from the message. That's okay. If you want to follow along on your phones, I'm referring mainly to the message translation this morning. Philippians 3, 2 to 5. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearance. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at their ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as, praise as we do. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many may think are impressive credentials. You see, false teachers had infiltrated the church in Philippi, and they wanted to make sure the congregation knew, or Paul wanted to make sure he knew, that the congregation knew how to handle them. We couldn't be like I am with my dog and just cave to their every every command. We had to be wise, or we have to be wise is what Paul was telling this church. Because you see, these men, men he called them, were immoral. I'm sure there were women there too. Immoral, influential, they were injurious, they were zealous, but they were wrong. They were active in the church, they were there a lot, but they were evil in their influence. Because you see, they taught that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. They claimed that circumcision was necessary in order to be accepted by God. And to Paul, this was nothing less than heresy. It's one thing for someone to decide that they wanted to keep that law of Moses. That was all good and well. And it was another thing for them to, to demand that someone else did that same thing. But it was so much worse when they started to claim that actually you needed to do this thing in order to be saved. In verse 3, Paul says in the NIV, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, we who boast in Christ Jesus and who do not put confidence in flesh. Paul is saying, stop teaching people that they need to be circumcised because we've already had that done internally. We've already had the heart transplant. We already worship in the spirit, not by having physical surgery. We give glory to Jesus and we put no confidence in anything about our flesh, our bodies, our acts, what we do. You know, many religious people have a Christ plus faith. Have a Christ plus this, either just in case or as necessary. They trust in Jesus but also feel like they need to do something to make sure they are definitely saved. Maybe it's works. Maybe they feel more confident if they have more money, achievement, morality. We might slip into thinking that that's not the case for us. We read about Pharisees and we think that's definitely not me. But it's a, it's a temptation. And it's very easy for us to slip into putting our hope into ourselves. I um, went away a a couple of weeks ago, not this week, but the previous week, I went to what they call officers, they used to call it officers fellowship, but it's called officers retreat now. And I don't retreat very easily. I don't know if many of you know me that well, but I don't retreat that easily. And I went away feeling like I had this massive big to-do list. And you know, often at the end of the day, we would have great teaching, I would have great encounters with, with God, and I'd enjoy his presence and his creation. 
But at the end of the first day, I went to bed thinking, but Rebecca, you haven't done your to-do list. There's so much to do. What's happening back at church? This, what about this situation? And I felt like I was feeling a little bit lacking in hope for the future, for, for myself, for the church, based on what I hadn't done that day. And I don't say that lightly because I don't think it's all a good attitude for a, a Sabashnami officer or for someone who trusts in God to have. But I think some of us can get a little bit caught up in our to-do list and feeling like when we have achieved certain things, then we're good. We're good for the future. But if we haven't achieved certain things, then we better be careful. Paul warns the Philippians and he warns us today, he warns me, if your confidence, if your hope is in yourself and what you're doing, if you only feel content at the end of the day, if you've achieved the stuff that you think makes you worthwhile, be careful. Don't get off track. Don't boast in your own righteousness. Boast only in Christ. Nothing but the blood can save me. Philippians 3, 4. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praises as we do. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts. You know, Tim Keller, I read this week, says, The gospel is good news, not good advice. Advice is always, when someone tells you advice, what are they saying? What you should do. But the gospel is nothing about what we should do. The gospel is about what's already been done for us. The gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel changes everything. So our hope is misplaced if it's based in what we do, but it's also misplaced if it's based on our credentials, based on who, what we've achieved or who we are. Paul says this in verses 6 to 7. You know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israel from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials these people are waving around are something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. Paul's giving us this personal illustration from his life. He's like, here's my personal spiritual pedigree. And he leaves seven points about his background. And I think I've got them summarized here. It's on the next slide. So this is Paul. He's got the right ritual. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He's got the right race. He was an Israelite. He's got the right family. He was from the top tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. He's got the right religion. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's got the right occupation, a Pharisee. The right zeal, he was a persecutor of the church and very proud to be so. And he's got the right morality. He was outwardly keeping all of God's commands. And if you aren't impressed with this, it's probably because you're not thinking like a first century Jew. Because a first century Jew couldn't help but be impressed with this list of things that Paul had done. This list of credentials that he had. Paul had it all. He should have been very hopeful about his future his surroundings would have told him. The most amazing verse in this passage, which I'm sure you've heard about before, because I'm sure once, probably about six years ago now, I've pointed out this verse before, and I spoke about brownies. I don't know if any of you remember, but some of you still do. When you've come to my house or when I've served supper, you've asked about my brownies. You might have to go back and take a listen previously. But this verse, verse 8, is the most amazing verse. It says here, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish 
that I may gain Christ. Another translation says garbage. Now, the word rubbish is the Greek word skabula, or skabala, sorry, which actually means dung or excrement. In fact, to be honest, it's a very inappropriate word. It's a profanity in the Greek. It's vulgar. Like legitimately commentators say, this word was very inappropriate for Paul to use. Most of them actually give you a, actually say what it is, which was a little bit surprising to me, and I'm not going to say it because it will be replayed over and over in the video, I'm sure. But Paul, there you go, Paul swears in this letter is the truth. That's what happens. Our wholesome translators have dumbed down the word to be dung, but he's actually saying that is all absolute nonsense compared to what God has done for me, compared to what Jesus has done. It's a very harsh word. It's the only apparent profanity recorded in the Bible. In fact, it probably is meant to shock. It's probably meant to say, be careful what you're doing, because this is serious business. It's all dung in my eyes, Paul says. Everything that I've done, everything that I am, compared to knowing you, Jesus. Paul's making sure his readers get it. We can't place hope in what we do. We can't place hope in who we are. The only way to have confidence, Paul says, our only hope is to know Jesus personally. Verses 8 to 10. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. I've dumped it all in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally. Whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss. You know, Paul thinks about his life before Christ and his life post-Christ. And he kind of draws up a bit of a spiritual profit, profit and loss statement. It's budget time for many of you in business. Those profit and loss statements, you try to keep them a little bit even, you know, at least, or hopefully the profit's more. And for Paul, he says, you know what? On profit, I put Jesus. Jesus Christ, that's my profit. And I consider all these things lost. And he lists these seven things out, which he used to brag about. Think about that for a moment. He says, all that I would get rid of in a, in a heartbeat, or I've got rid of in a heartbeat, compared to that surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. That other stuff, it doesn't matter to me. It's all rubbish. You know, when we read the word rubbish, at first glance, a couple of weeks ago, when I looked at this scripture, I read the word rubbish, I thought about the rubbish in my life. And I don't know when I say to you about the rubbish in your life, what you think about, but I kind of think a pretty good guess is that you'd think about things that are obviously bad, when I think about rubbish in people's lives, I think about angry thoughts, bad habits, viewing pornography, sexual immorality, gross misconduct, idolatry, witchcraft, racial prejudice, uncontrolled temper, the other bad stuff, you know? But Paul's not talking about rubbish just in that sense, although that's all part of it. That's stuff that is not good for us and we should leave behind. But what if I said to you, get rid of the rubbish out of your life, and by that I meant Get rid of or dis, what do you call it? Discon, disconsider, don't consider anymore your heritage, your university education, your years as a Sunday school teacher or a bandsman or a corps officer. 
Because that's what Paul's saying. All that stuff, good and bad, I consider rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. It's not the things that it's not that the things on Paul's list were wrong in themselves. Most of them were actually morally neutral. There was nothing wrong with being circumcised. God had commanded it in the Old Testament. There was nothing wrong with being from the tribe of Benjamin. There was nothing wrong with zealously trying to keep God's laws. The heritage issues, well, he could do nothing about that. He couldn't change his own background. And the lifestyle choices he made were pretty good, apart from the persecuting the church. They were morally upright. They weren't sinful in themselves. But to him, they were rubbish because he'd taken too much pride in them. He looked down on others because of them. He, he evaluated everything in light of them. And in the end, these human things were the, the rubbish that he had to get rid of so he could come to Jesus. So as Paul did this new accounting of his life, that's the conclusion he came to. Not only that the advantages didn't matter, but that in some ways they actually could keep him from discovering God's grace until he learned to count them as rubbish compared with the joy of knowing Christ. What's important to you? What are your goals in life? A good job, university degree, money in the bank, lots of friends, a good reputation, successful career, praise of others, trophy room full of awards, being a president, CEO, departmental chair. What's important to you? Paul had one consuming goal, to know Christ. And that never ends. That didn't end for Paul. It was the core of his life. Everything else was an accessory, was an extra. Coming to know Jesus turned Paul's world upside down because the gospel changes everything. I wonder today if we've got things that we need to leave behind, things that we've never left behind or things that we've picked up on the way that we need to place down again before Jesus' feet this morning. Because, you know, I think the problem with so many of us is that we're still playing in some of that rubbish stuff of life and turning our eyes from Jesus, who should be our focus. Paul talks about loss in verse 7. He talks about rubbish in verse 8. And then in verse 13, this very famous verse, Paul says, Forgetting what lies behind and pressing towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of knowing Christ more fully and completely. Paul knew Christ. And so what was his next goal? To know him more fully and more completely. It was all about Jesus and living the life that Christ calls me to live. It's really easy for us to settle in our faith, isn't it? We seem to strive in our workplace, strive in saving for the future, strive in helping our kids get better. But we can quite easily learn to settle in our faith. We can quit growing, quit learning, quit reading the Bible, quit hanging out with other Christians But there's none of that in this passage from Paul. It's a daily experience of growing and becoming more like him. If you've been following Jesus for more than a year now, can you honestly say that you know Jesus better today than you did a year ago? It's a challenge to think about. Do I know Jesus better today than I did a year ago, than I did a month ago? You know, um, that word presses, I press on toward the goal. That word press in Greek is the same word, don't worry, it's not another swear word, is the same word as persecute. The same word used as he persecutes the church is the way that he presses on towards the goal of knowing Jesus. It's quite an aggressive term. He knows it needs this laser-sharp 
focus. Because actually, it's quite easy to slide if it's not a really strong intention. The distractions, the barking dogs, they don't seem to go away. And we have to choose daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minutely, if that's a word. I know it's not. But to steer clear of them. Remember how we started this morning? Steer clear of the barking dogs. Continue to do it. The dogs aren't going away. They're still going to be there with their sad eyes saying that they've got the truth and they know what's going on. I think if Paul had a one-sentence testimony, he'd say this. Knowing Jesus is worth giving away everything else. Knowing Jesus is worth giving away everything else. And Jesus told us that this would be the case for those who truly discovered him and his kingdom. He tells a parable, a one-verse parable in Matthew chapter 13, which says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He finds something so amazing that he's like, I'm willing to give up everything else to have that. A few weeks ago, Phil approached me. He said, you know that TV I've been saving for? I'm like, yes. You know that TV that I've got a few hundred dollars for that I got for Christmas and birthday? Well, it's a long time till my next Christmas and birthday because they're both in December. What can I do to get that TV earlier? I'll do anything. <laughs> what do you want me to do? What can I scrape and scrimp on? What can, what can I do? Because I want that TV. Now, that's not the priority of Phil's life. I'm not judging Phil this morning. But I wonder whether some of us need to have a little bit more of that gusto, that focus when it comes to knowing Jesus. What can I do? Phil sold some things. I'm going to give up some things. In this short parable that we read, tells us that he has such joy because he desires the treasure that he found. Do we still consider Jesus our treasure? That's how we're to look at life. Nothing more valuable than knowing Jesus. That's why we pray and read the Bible and come to church and seek to know him, even if it means giving up some other time for something else. That's why we don't stay at home of a Sunday morning or watch TV, but we instead we come together and we gather in the name of Jesus, seeking to know him. This is why we forfeit everything for Christ, because he's our supreme treasure. We're going to sing a song in a moment. I might get Anne to start playing the, the tune for me. But just as we finish, we're going to go back to the first verse. I don't know if you noticed, but we start at, at verse 2. Because I wanted to give you the answer before I told you verse 1, which we quickly kind of dismiss. I think we've overheard this verse and we, we kind of think it means about being happy or about celebrating. And this scripture starts with the, the, the phrase, rejoice in the Lord. Or the message says, be glad in the Lord. And this doesn't mean to be happy. It doesn't mean to praise. It doesn't mean to sing loudly or to enter his gates with thanksgiving as we often, you know, join that together. This phrase, rejoice in the Lord or be glad in the Lord, it means that we are to depend, to hope, to celebrate, to joy in God, not ourselves. It means that we ground our life. We find our joy and our meaning in God and not ourselves. We put no hope in ourselves, but a whole hope in God. If you're struggling with joy this morning, if you're struggling with hope, if you've got lots of questions and don't have answers, I want this morning you to ask God to examine your heart. 
Ask Him to tell you where you're placing your hope. Is it in anything else but Him? What are you living for? Graeme Kendrick wrote some helpful words which really are just the Scripture, mostly the Scripture this morning that we've looked at. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. The first verse, if you could put it up, that'd be great. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres the good, the bad, and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I count loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. And verse 2. Now my heart's desire is to know you more. It's my invitation for you this morning to honestly pray that prayer to God and see how He changes your joy, see how He changes your hope, see how He changes your life because the gospel changes everything. So we're going to take some time. We're going to sing through this song if you know it, if you just want to read the words while the music plays, if you'd like to pray where you are quietly, you can do that. Also, as always, our place of prayer is open. If you'd come and kneel, someone will pray with you or you can pray by yourself and ask God, where's my foundation this morning? Might have gone a little bit off track. Show me if that's the case. Knowing you, Jesus, it's all my heart desires.